Well, good morning to you all, and uh, it's good to see you. A uh, little better than last Sunday, I heard, for attendance. And uh, we are certainly in interesting times, aren't we? And I think there's one common denominator with everybody is we're really sick of this. And there's a lot of people emotionally are just really down. And I want to encourage you, we are going to go into the Advent season next week, and we're going to be talking about hope and love and peace and joy. Uh, those will be within the next four weeks. And so just want to encourage you to just kind of hang on, and we're going to talk about who Jesus is, what he's come to do. And uh, we have been so blessed in our society to have so much freedom, so much uh, good employment for the most part and all that kind of stuff. And things have just been turned upside down and it's very disconcerting. And let me just ask you to focus on Jesus for he is the author and finisher of our faith. And I know that, uh, like I say, everybody's been turned upside down. But I just want to say to you that he is with you. He is here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good, loving God. And no matter where we're at emotionally, you are here in our midst. You are with us. You are guiding us, comforting us, loving us. You are with us in those deepest valleys. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and this feels like one of those valleys, you are with us. And uh, you, you set a banquet table before us. You fellowship with us. You, you invite us into relationship. You, you invite us to hear what your Holy Spirit has to say to us, to counsel us, to comfort us, to guide us, to lead us. And so, Father, as we go into your word today, would you just uh, lead us and guide us in actually a sermon I think maybe I've preached once before, and that's it, in 32 years. And uh, Lord, would you open up our eyes to this truth? Would you help us to understand? And it may not directly appeal or speak to us, but oh God, I believe it is going to speak to every one of us about where our hearts are at today. And so Holy Spirit, come, anoint your word. May it not return void as it promises. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So two weeks ago, we talked about human sexuality and uh, kind of laid from Genesis right up to the time of Jesus and the Apostle Paul, how God has created us man and woman, husband and wife, and how he has uh, determined that our human sexuality is in a safe committed, lifelong relationship called marriage. And uh, that has never changed. In fact, any kind of... Uh, I will. I, I don't like to use the word deviation, but it's the only word that comes to mind. Any kind of track outside of that, you will see repeatedly in Scripture where it says, nope, this isn't the way it is. This isn't the way it is. And we live in a world and a society of entitlement right now. And I want to be honest that I struggle with entitlement myself. I believe that I deserve, I believe that I should get, and I believe God is going to, and I would stand up and swear on a stack of Bibles, I don't preach prosperity gospel. But I kind of wonder how many of us, when the rubber hits the road, that's what we believe we're entitled to. That God is going to make us rich, he's going to give us the cattle on a thousand hills, it's going to be ours, not his. And uh, we, we kind of really struggle with this. And it, it honestly flows into our sexuality. 
We figure we have our rights, we deserve this, we deserve that. We deserve self-fulfillment, we deserve pleasure. That's what God has created us for. And before the fall, yeah, there was lots of good stuff in that. But honestly, right now, we're in this, this kind of world that is, is the self-entitlement is kind of said, I can sin and do whatever I want. And if you go right back to the Garden of Eden, you understand and realize that that's not where God has created us to be. Last Sunday, Elmer, I think, did a great job talking about three things that attack our marriages. And uh, if you haven't watched the message or seen the message, go back through, take some notes, and start to understand those things are going to tear your marriage down. Today, if you heard me pray, I'm going to kind of approach or, or attack a subject I know I've preached on it before because I've preached through 1 Corinthians, so I, I, I know I must have touched this subject, but I believe the last time I preached through 1 Corinthians was 15 or so years ago, and so it's been a long time. I have never touched this subject, and here's, I, I want to tell you, what, what the subject is today is celibacy or singleness. And uh, it's kind of weird, here's kind of why I know we have a problem in the church about this, because I tried to find somebody in the church, even somebody in my distant past, who actually felt God calling them to remain single their whole life. They felt gifted that way, they felt called that way, and there may be somebody in our church and you could come and talk to me afterwards, but I couldn't find them. And when you think about it actually, we, we have presuppositions as people, right? Do you know, understand that word? Presuppositions are those kind of core beliefs that we have in our life, like God is a loving, caring God. That's a presupposition. And because we have the presupposition that God is there and he loves me, it kind of influences everything that we do and everything that we say. Sometimes our presuppositions are wrecked because something in life happens that doesn't line up with this loving, caring God. Or there might be some who believe God is distant and a taskmaster. So everything that happens to him is kind of goes through that filter. God's hitting me again. God's after me again. I don't deserve anything. Or there might be some that don't believe that God exists at all or that he even cares or he's distant. And so this presupposition influences wherever they go. I believe there's a presupposition in the church that singleness isn't what God's plan is. Think about your earliest memories of watching videos, Hollywood TV. What did they all promote? You gotta find a soulmate. You gotta find somebody to be with. I feel like a hypocrite up here talking about singleness when I'm married. But I want us to understand biblically what the Bible teaches about being single and the call to being single. By the way, I do have three kind of answers to some questions from three people that I talked to in our church and one not from our church. But each one of them, when I talk to them, says actually we're not real good examples of this calling to be single. We are single, we're okay with being single. In fact, we, all three of them said, I don't need to be married to feel fulfilled. I get my fulfillment, fulfillment in God and my relationship with others. But all of them said, no, I don't necessarily feel called to being single. And I think it says something about us as a church. 
It says something about us as a society. And so then we wonder why there's so much confusion in human sexuality when we've been sold this presupposition that everybody deserves to have a soulmate. Everybody deserves to have somebody that they're with for their lifetime. And we're going to see that's not completely the whole story that Scripture teaches. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 32, and we will see in this text that there is actually another option besides marriage. I did cover briefly this, kind of ended on that a few weeks ago. But let's take a real close look at this option of singleness. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32 begins, and it really describes singleness as a valid choice. Verse 32 says, I would like you to be free from concern. Listen to this. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the, if you're wondering he was going to include women, is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. I want you to notice that the context has kind of made it really clear that unmarried people are not to be sleeping around or living unmarried or, or living with somebody. It's not saying you can still shack up and still be with somebody. It's actually saying there is a really complete focus, if you're not married, on things of the Lord. The text goes on to say, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. Now, how she can please her husband. Oh, by the way, back to Elmer's sermon last Sunday, our marriages would be a lot better if we actually had a bit of attitude like that. My wife isn't there, by the way, just to be at my beck and call to barefoot and pregnant, feeding me all the food. In fact, my wife doesn't even like cooking. She's an incredible cook. And so I like cooking, so I cook a lot. Why? Because I want to please my wife. But it is a bit of a distraction. That's what the text says. Verse 35 says, I am saying this to your own good. Listen really closely. Not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. It's kind of a little bit, kind of a weird thing. This isn't to restrict you but it's to live undivided to the Lord. You see, it's not about not what we can't have. It's about the Lord and what we can have, something that's superior, something that's greater. And again, a few weeks ago, I spoke about being single, and I talked about how Jesus and Paul had chosen to be free of marriage and stuff for the sake of the gospel. Where would we be today if they had been divided? Years ago, when I was living in Langley, British Columbia, oh, I think it was 1979, I think it was the fall of 79, I roommated with a Campus Crusade for Christ guy. He was in his mid-30s, and I never did ask him if he felt called to being single, but he was single. 
And I can tell you that I found it so kind of weird because as his roommate, he was never home in the evenings, ever. He was always doing something for the Lord. I can also tell you that he was gone. I bet you every second weekend putting on some kind of conference or some kind of uh, thing that's going on. And, and I know, by the way, Billy Graham struggled with this a bit because he was married and he was always away. So he tried to uh, put times in where he was with just his family and with his wife. But you see, this guy I lived with, he was completely, he had all the time in the world for the Lord. I mean, he would go on personal retreats. He would get up early and pray. It was just unbelievable. I saw the benefits of not being married. Now, don't get me wrong. As you're hearing me through this message, I love being married. I love my wife deeply. But friends, this is the hard truth. I, as your pastor, am a divided man. I love my wife, and I look at how I should please her, and I should. So what is this about being single that Paul is preaching and teaching? Should everyone or shouldn't everyone be married or single? In verse 36, he goes on to describe that there actually is a good reason to be married. And I will tell you that personally, this was the reason that I fell on in the end. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, he's being really polite. Sometimes when you get into the Greek, it's a little more crass than what our English puts it. And he feels he ought to marry. He should do as he wants. Listen carefully. He is not sinning. They should get married. Now, especially back in that day, we think about this Hollywood love and romance and dating and stuff, but a lot of times marriages were arranged and they would be engaged to be married to a virgin, and it's interesting how Paul keeps pointing that out. Uh, in other words, they didn't have all this sexual experience. In fact, I remember talking to a, a, a young man in one of my churches, and he had slept with a lot of different ladies before he got married. And about a year into his marriage, he came to me and said, I'm really struggling because I'm bored of my wife now. Well, it's not exactly how he put it. But you see, we, we, we are so self-indulging that we, we really ruin what God had planned for sexual purity and what he had planned for marriage and what he had planned for him. But if you do choose to be married, now, in my heart, in my life, I went, I, I just can't help, I need to be married. And I prayed to the Lord that he would send me one oh, weird little thing. It's when I stopped looking for a wife <laughs> that the Lord brought me one. I, I had, and you guys know my story, I kept getting broken up with. And, and I've often, Satan sometimes used that and said, well, it's because you're such a loser. That's why you kept getting broke up with. And I don't know why. Maybe I just got too serious, too fast with him. I don't know what it was. But I will tell you, God brought me the perfect woman. And maybe that's what it was all about. God just put this distaste in the, the hearts of the gals I was dating. But I finally married the gal that I should. And I felt I could. And I wasn't sinning doing that. But I want us to understand what the scripture teaches. It's okay if you get married, especially if you struggle with sexual passions. In fact, Paul says it isn't a sin then to marry. But I want to also understand, so he, he started out in this text saying, 
it's better off not to get married. You have an undivided heart. You can focus on the Lord. Then he says, but if you burn with desire and you need to get married, then do that. You're not sinning either. But then he says in the next verse, 37, that both married and unmarried are perfectly okay, but single is still better. Listen to the text as it goes. So he's kind of flip-flopping if you haven't figured it out. In other words, it's, it's okay to, it's, it's a good high calling to be single. It's okay to get married, but listen to this. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, like you just don't feel this urge, and it's really tough in our society from we little, like whether Disney is, has some prince and romance and things happen, but you're somebody who is under no compulsion but has control over his own, his own will, and who has made up his mind, listen to this, who has made up his mind to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. Did you hear that? So then, he who marries the virgin does right, okay, marriage is okay, but he who does not marry her, listen to this, does better. Now, when I talk to a lot of different single people over the years, I can tell you that they feel like second-class citizens in the church. They feel like they just don't fit in, like nobody even invites them over for dinner. Nobody wants to hang out with them because, hey, and, and here's number one thing everybody always says to me that are single and feel called to being single. They, people always want to set them up with others. And it's so frustrating. You see, what the scripture is teaching, that those that are remaining single, it's sort of like, uh, like Ruth was a missionary for years, Ruth who was up here uh, interviewing the Brames and the Brames. Uh, we as a church have always held missionaries that kind of, like, uh, and missionaries tell me it drives them nuts when they're held in this beautiful, you know, ivory tower, you're so incredible. But I think they are. They're giving up everything to go overseas, and I think that's cool. We need to have that same kind of honor for those that are single. And we need to invite them into our lives and we need to invite them into our emotions. We need to give them, because when I talk to everybody that's single, every one of them would say to me, oh man, I still need that emotional connection. You remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam was creative and God, he's walking with God. He's got personal one-on-one -on -one time with God. And God says to him, it's not good for you to be alone, what? But he walked with God. No, God has created in each and every one of us this vertical desire to be with God and walk with him in the garden and this horizontal desire to be with each other. And single people called to being single, the, the celibate life, they need intimate relationships. And I'm not talking sexual. They need to have friendships and somebody, I mean, you think about it. I get frustrated at whatever. I'm at the store, a teller frustrates me, or I'm at church and somebody frustrates me, or, or I get all excited about what God's leading this church to do. I go home and talk to my wife. Well, what does the single person do? Especially the single people that everybody's trying to always match up with somebody else. Especially the single person that we, we kind of are uncomfortable with them and being around them. Who are they to be with? So here's another explanation. This is Jesus himself. And in this text, and if you could turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus is kind of confronted with divorce and remarriage by the Pharisees, and he's given some questions about it, and then Jesus responds, 
And he basically says divorce really isn't an option except for one exception. And then we kind of jump into the conversations that his followers, the disciples, and Jesus have. Matthew chapter 19, verse 10. So after Jesus makes all these declarations, he says to the disciples, the disciples said to him, they've got a question now privately, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Now listen to Jesus' reply. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word. Sound like Paul's teaching a little bit? But only those to whom it has been given. Friends, there is a calling to being celibate. Listen to him go on and explain it. Verse 12, for there are eunuchs who were born that way. There are those that just have no sexual desires, whether they've had a genetic problem or whatever, but they just have no desires that way, and they're born that way. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. The one who can accept this should accept this. Do you see where Paul's getting his teaching from? Do you see how Paul's saying, it's actually good to have an, or where Jesus is saying, it's actually good to have an undivided heart and devotion to God. I've kind of wondered and thought about it this week, and I wonder why we as an evangelical church are so down on this celibacy thing, and I think some of it might be a reaction to the Catholic Church, because we kind of came out of that, we kind of said we didn't like all the religiosity and the ritual, and we wanted to be more biblical and not so historical, and, and we reacted to so much, and we really reacted against their teaching on celibacy for the ministry. But I think we've done a dis. I'm not saying that all pastors should be celibate, don't get me wrong. But I think we need to elevate this whole teaching of celibacy to a higher level than what we have. We need to tell our young people, the young adults and our children, it's okay, your children, my children, mine are all married already, but it's okay to not get married. Honestly, when I was a young adult looking then for a wife because of my reasons that scripture teaches, I said to myself, okay, so I'm gonna have a divided heart and I wanna have a divided heart with somebody who loves the Lord like I do. And I wanna tell you that my wife, Carolyn, out of all the girls I dated, loved Jesus more than any other girl I'd ever met. And so when we got married, we said to ourselves, we want our, we, like our purpose for having kids wasn't to fulfill some, oh, I want to be a daddy. I mean, there may be a little bit of that. But our desire to have children was so that they could expand the kingdom of God. So right from we little, talking about presuppositions, we tried really hard to lay down presuppositions that all my children would want to expand the kingdom of God. And they're all along that journey at some level or some way. They all desire to, my oldest son Brian loves to go on the internet and argue with atheists. He just loves doing that. I don't know why, but he loves to be able to tell them about Jesus and, and kind of explain this argument. That argument is kind of crazy. My daughter Shaylin, as you know, her and her husband are looking at going in the mission field. 
My daughter Kylie is a worship leader down in Vancouver and her husband, they are always trying to do everything they can. They, they in fact keep looking for churches that they can be a part of, that they can reach out to the lost the best that they can. The church they were just going to close down and they're looking for a new church. My youngest son Josh and his wife Alina, Alina was up here with worship. And I'm not saying that my kids are all perfect, don't get me wrong, they've all had their struggles, they've all had their moments of distraction, but honestly, my goal and my prayer for each and every one of them was that the kingdom of God would be expanded. We just get so self-indulgent. So I couldn't find anybody that said they had a gift of calling, so I did talk to three people and I asked them a few questions, and this is kind of just a little bit of a compilation of their responses as being single adults. And you're probably guessing, so who would I probably go to first in our church? Well, right in our own office, actually the first two are from the office. Uh, Pastor Wes was the first one I went and talked to. And if you know Pastor Wes, Pastor Wes will say, I don't feel called to being single. And he often jokes, like, if you have anybody that you have in mind to help me date or whatever, I'm open to that. He likes to joke and tease about that. And I wonder, I should have asked him, do you do that because everybody hates it that you're single? Like, do you try to fit in with that? He, he probably would say, no, no, I'm being serious. But listen to what Pastor West said about being single. He said, we are created for community. And the need for friendship is greater when you are single, as single persons add value to friendships and communities. It is critical to be part of our church family. We are not complete without each person and their gifts. Hmm, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, you know that we really need each other. Care for all individuals in all seasons, widows, divorcees, single parents, the the whole gamut. Couples and families have much to offer, Wes said. Single individuals also have much to offer families. I, Pastor Wes, am so appreciative of the families in our church that have loved me and are praying for me. And if you ever stalk him on Facebook, you'll see, you'll probably start to figure out who the families are that he hangs out with. And he really needs those sounding boards, those connecting people, those ones that give him a hug. And he loves kids and he gets to hang out with them. So then I went down the hall the other way, the other direction. I talked to Sharon Tygrobe, who's on our staff. She's one of the support staff, and uh, she does a lot of the building, rental stuff, and uh, fills in with a whole bunch of other kind of things. So here's what Sharon said to me. I believe it is important for single Christians to work hard on close relationships, as it is with everyone. I wouldn't be where I am or doing as well as I am without close relationships, family and friends. To quote Dr. Henry Cloud, there is a difference between solitude and isolation. One is connected and one isn't. Solitude replenishes, isolation diminishes. So be thinking of those single people in our church. He also says that we all need someone who cares about us, who is walking next to us and through the thick and the thin of what we are facing. The church is very much a family-oriented place, she writes, as it should be. I can't speak for all Spanish singles, Sharon says, but I am very uncomfortable at times coming into a church service alone or attending events alone. Can we have eyes to see people? 
It seems like everyone else has a family or a friend to attend with, so I can feel like the odd one out. It can be difficult to break into those circles. One can feel alone in a room full of people, but that isn't unique just to singles either, she says. But she does write, it is nice to have someone reach out and include you. I think we could all work in that singles and couples. So I have an old, old friend. Now, this goes right back to Bible college, so, oh, my goodness, 40 years ago. Uh, his name is Lori Thronis. Now, just to tell you about Lori, he actually is related. She's a nephew to the Thronuses in our church. And I think he's 62 or 63, and he's still single. I kind of connect with him a little bit here and there over the years. And uh, Laurie was, I think he was the secretary to a member of parliament in Ottawa for years. And then he ran for the BC legislature and he was a liberal. Can you believe that Christian is a liberal? No, I'm just joking and teasing. And he was in the BC legislature, I think for 10 years or so. And just uh, three weeks ago, the BC election, he actually lost his seat in Chilliwack by just a few hundred votes actually. And that's another whole story. And during the process and how the media kind of treated him and stuff, and they've been pretty hard on him about his Christianity. He's not afraid to share about Jesus if you've ever seen him around. But he lost the election. And so I, I just started messaging him and I said, hey, Lori, I said, I, I don't know if you feel called to being single at 62, 63, but I'm doing a sermon on singleness on Sunday, and I tried to get him to do an interview with me, and he goes, I'd be a horrible interviewer because I don't want to be single. And by the way, I told a few of my friends, and they said, oh, what does he look like? I could set him up. There we go again. <coughs> so I sent Lori some of the questions I'd sent to the others, and this is what Lori wrote back to me. There is a lot more single people around than you might think. Of course, this guy's gonna do that. 28% of Canadian households are one-person households. When I was growing up in Fort St. John, his dad was an Alliance pastor there. In the Alliance Church, a single adult who was not a, a widowed senior citizen, it was really unusual. Today, single adults are common, he writes. Singleness has become one of the great defining aspects of our modern culture. I used to discuss this with my mother, Edna Peters Thronus, and she wisely said, single people have single problems and married people have married problems. You can't get away from problems, she wrote, or she said. The joy of singleness is freedom, freedom to serve, to go wherever you like or do whatever you want without asking permission. The difficulty of singleness is loneliness and a lack of intimacy, including that all-important social network of children, in-laws, and married friends. Single people, therefore, need to be open to reach out and to cultivate close relationships. And part of that, as the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul, involves service to the body of Christ. But the body of Christ also needs to be sensitive to single people. In most churches, there is no comfortable social place for a single person. This is about loving each other. As John the disciple who Jesus loved said, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. May the Lord give the church a vision both to realize the possibility of Christian singles in ministry and to help meet their needs. After he wrote that, I said to him, boy, you should be a pastor. 
And uh, it's kind of funny, his answer. He goes, too much politics. <laughs> and I said, too much politics? He goes, well, at least in the federal or in the provincial politics, I know who is stabbing my back. But then he did write, and he did say, if God wanted me to be a pastor, I would be a pastor, especially being single. He said I'd be undivided and be able to do that. Again, my goal this morning is not to make you feel guilty if you're married. But if God is calling you to be single, I want to raise you up. I want to honor you. And I want to say to us in the church, let's do a better job at elevating and loving our single people. 28%, Lori wrote. And honestly, when I got married, I did it for the kingdom. And because of who I was and the desires that were burning in me, But I want to be blunt and honest. Those who have chosen to be single have chosen a higher calling. And we have such a culture that kind of frowns on that, looks bad at that. And we as a church, we need to read the truth and let the truth set us free. So if you're called to be single, God honor you. And we and the rest of the church who are married or Whatever stage of life you're at, widowed or, or maybe you're separated or divorced, we're going to love each other. We're going to really help each other emotionally and have, be sounding boards for each other. So if you're married, reach out to those who are single. If you have a family, you got kids, I can tell you, Pastor Wes, and if you know Lori, he would love to have you over and share and I've seen her with the staff kids and with other kids in the church. She just loves to connect Let's honor those who are single. So here's my conclusion. Marriage is very valid. You haven't sinned if you married. But being single by calling is honestly the better. And it should be preferred. And we as a church should honor that. We as a church must embrace both expressions of human sexuality, being single and being married. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we've gone through this teaching, oh God, would you just bring the truth to us and help us as a church to do better. For those of us that have that soulmate at home that we can talk to and bounce things off, oh God, help us to include or draw in people who are single. And I know my wife and I have one individual that we've drawn into our life, a a lady who's single, And I just pray that each one of us would be not afraid and and not trying to set up somebody for the person that's single to be married, but let us just love them and invite them into our lives. And oh God, we want to honor those who have chosen to completely sell out for Jesus. They have the inside fortitude and, and the control of their sexuality that they can do this with honor and with gladness. And, and God, we do want to honor them and help us as a church to do that. And, and those who are not yet married, may they actually ask the tough question of God. Have you called me to be single? Have you called me to this higher calling? And oh God, would we as a church honor that when people choose that? In Jesus Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen.